Live show. Live show coming at you live, live in your ears. This is live. You are listening. <laughs> you are listening literally right now to a live broadcast. The first of its kind. Uh, we're we're going to get into this pretty quickly because one, um, this is like my fa- one of my favorite episodes we've ever recorded, and I just kind of want to get into it. But two, and it's mostly number two. Uh, I'm just in the door from the airport and I really need to pee. Okay. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah. Michael O'Leary's old uh, charging you to use the toilet thing is actually working. <laughs> yeah. No, I flew Aer Lingus like a fancy boy this time. Yeah, that's why you got delayed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Was delayed. Was yeah, Aer Lingus, you know it. I'm bringing all that hate to you because of that fucking night that you gave me. Oh, anyway. anyway. It's well documented in the podcast. It is. Go back far enough. It is. Uh, but yeah, let's turn this energy into podcast energy. What you're about to hear is our live show that we recorded as part of the Dublin Podcast Festival back... When did we do it? October? October? Early yeah, October. October. Early October. We've been sitting on it for a while, but now we cannot sit on it any longer. Like an emperor penguin protecting it in the blizzards of the Antarctic. It is now ready. The- <laughs> yes, yes, exactly like that, Mr. Attenborough. Yes. And we had the wonderful Mark Little. Wonderful, wonderful Mark Little. You're, you're going to hear all about it. He's so fucking great. He's so fucking great. One of my favorite guests we've ever had. Uh, we had a great time. And thank you to everyone who came out. And for all the, those who didn't, you're about to hear it now. Uh, one little caveat up top. The um, episode starts with a short film. I have put that short film on YouTube and the link is in the show notes. So if you want to watch it and feel like you're there, you can. It's it's mostly an audio thing anyway, so you're not going to miss out if you don't see it. It's all in the recording, but it's there if you want to check it out. It's worth watching the video as well. Yes, it is my opus. It is my greatest creation. It is my cinematic masterpiece. Absolutely. And I invite you in now. But wait, before you do. To watch it. Oh, (laughs) We forgot to mention that Mark Little has changed the name of his company. So we were going to actually go to the effort of bleeping out whatever he said, the old name for the company and putting in the new one, which is Kinzen. No, fuck that. But we're not going to do that. So just whenever he says the old name for the company, which I'm not going to mention, just imagine he's saying Kinzen. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. Now enjoy my cinematic opus. Politics. Once a great and noble institution. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. A bastion of intelligence and nuance. The powerful instinct for decency, which must be at the heart of a real republic. Of optimism and hope. Yes, we can. A place for people of integrity and virtue. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Alas, such times are no more. No more. Civil unrest. Not my One hundred thousand people will march towards Parliament Square. And misinformation. You are fake news. Called fake news. CNN is fake news. facts. These are the heralds of a new age, an age of division, of apathy, and of chaos. Chaos. Who now can save us? We need a mind. No. Two minds that can bridge the divide and bring harmony and clarity to our politics. We need a book. No, a TV show. No, a podcast to guide us out of ignorance. We need, quite frankly, the two greatest political intellects that this world has ever seen. Oh, those like yeah, no, they couldn't make it. Nah, nah, I gave them a buzz a couple of a couple of days ago. They're they're booked out. Um, yeah, all, all we could get is like Stephen Ritchie. Uh, unfortunately, don't get me wrong, like they're they're grand, like they'll, they'll do the job, like they're they're fucking they're fine. But um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be the biggest fan of them myself now if I'm if I'm perfectly honest. That fucking Ritchie lad, just anyway. But like, I'm not saying you won't enjoy it. Like, it'll be a bit of a laugh. But like, I mean, if you have to. You have to take a shite or something. You need to go to the jacks. I wouldn't worry too much about it. Um, so anyway, uh, here's the lads.
Uh, who are we? That's a that's a that's probably the good place to start. Who? Um, <laughs> who? Oh, we're not Mark Little. <laughs> um, spoilers. Uh, we are what I'm. We are a comedy political podcast, and we which do comes our, first. Sorry, which comes first? Politics or comedy? We alternate depending. Well, it's kind of hard to make any point seriously when behind us there's a six foot backdrop of us. What right. a man. great holiday! Great, that was the best holiday. I feel like we've become much closer <laughs> since hanging out with Papa Putin. But we are a, a political comedy podcast. See, I just flipped it. It doesn't matter. Politics is interchangeable with comedy these What's days. What's the difference these days? Ooh, topical. You can expect that kind of heat on a, on a podcast like this. But we are a comedy politics podcast to try to bridge the gap between the madness of politics today, and the madness of our own conversations and, you know, this whole thing. The thing you saw at the start, basically. We don't take ourselves too seriously is what we're trying to say. I never take you seriously. Oh. <laughs> That's so sweet. Speaking of podcasts, earlier we were getting a drink downstairs. We were just getting set up and you had a wonderful little moment of eavesdropping. Yeah. yeah, there were two two gentlemen sitting behind me at a table just as I was ordering at the bar and they were talking about Blind Boy podcast, like the number one podcast. A significantly better podcast than this. More popular. Anyway. More popular, better. And they were like, oh yeah. And then he was just talking about cognitive dissonance. And I mean, I could talk about that. In fact, any Egypt with a laptop can get his friend and do a podcast and then that's it and then they're super famous and I'm just like oh. <laughs> definitely the first part sir <laughs> I've, I, yeah, I've never been upset with you in any significant way but the fact that you didn't turn around and go hey guys what, what are you doing later because I've got a uh, my podcast is doing a live show upstairs the fact that you didn't do that I'll, I didn't do that. I'll never forgive you for that I just went to the list <laughs> that's exactly it that's exactly it We're, hi mammy hi Richie's mammy Where's Steve's mammy? Hi, my mammy. We're do hey. <laughs> Welcome to Mammy Watch. It's always the first segment in our podcast. There's your, your brother. He's not my mammy. He's not your mammy. Who let you in? <laughs> Ma asked me not to embarrass her, but I just thought I'd shout out, hey, man. Yeah. But what are we doing today here, Steve? I thought that since at the last live show, Electric Picnic, we talked about fake news with the wonderful Varia Loftus. Uh, we were- who, yeah. If only could be here today. Oh, fine. With us in spirit. If you listen very carefully, you can hear her voice. <laughs> very carefully. Yeah. If you didn't know we were at Electric Picnic, it's probably because we use our stage name when we were at that particular festival. We go by the Prodigy sometimes. We're doing oh no, I go as the Joe Dolan tribute band. <laughs> That's much more your speed. But anyway, sorry. Yeah, we did fake so, news. Yeah, we did fake news, um, which just as a catch up in case any of you didn't listen, um, I will give you a summary so you don't have to listen to 60 minute episode. Willful spread of disinformation. It's not new, but it's amplified by technologies, in particular social media. Um, it's not just the news that you don't like, which some particular presidents of the United States may say. Um, so I thought today we do good news. Good news. Good news. But not not like, you know, oh, look at the puppies or no, oh, look, chocolate is now labored as a superfood. <gasps> no, not that kind of good news. I thought that we would talk about how can we... Talk about how news is better in terms of gathering its information and verifying it, and then also how they disseminate it better. How? how? Well, tell me, tell me right now. Um, I don't. Oh, I didn't write that down. Oh, so, Fuck, if only we had a guest. We should probably get a guest for that. Does anybody happen to know anyone in front of us that is an expert on this very subject? Hands, please. No, they don't. Okay. Okay. In that case, let's just get Mark Little. <laughs> Mark, come on up. This is just like prime time, you know that? It's eerie how similar it's a prime time. It's like we, we, we managed to convince Mark to come here by telling him the Late Late Show was filming in, uh, here instead of- Hello to the mammies, by the way. Hi. <laughs> hey Mark, not that, high, not, that, not, not that close, come on. Are they tracking, tracking your iPhones or something, aren't they? Is someone <laughs> so Mark, let's go through a quick bio. I mean, everybody probably already knows all about you, but just in case, um, you were the editor of Trinity News. Is that correct? When you were in wow, college? Wow, are we going that far back? We're going that far back. Yes, I, I'm but, also Aintus, the student's union newspaper. Oh yeah, but we would also like to point out that like, I suppose Trinity News is all right if you can't get a job in the College View of DCU. I also went to DCU. Shush. Yeah, no, I do remember. I remember after writing this that I remember looking at your face in the library every time I was uh, running in. Ardlo to, Hanlon. It's yeah. a little known fact that I was part of a band called Papa Doc and the Progressive Democrats. We won the bad band competition at NIHE before it was DCU. 
What? The lead singer was Ed O'Loughlin, who's gone on to become a great journalist and novelist. So there you go. I was in a band in DCU too. It was called the Short Hairy Shakes. Woo! I'm just saying, Mark, we've all got shit going on, you know? <laughs> and this is where I step off the stage and the real performance starts. Okay, Steve, drop a beat. <laughs> I dropped it. Dance off. Um, then immediately after graduation, you went into RTE News, their first ever Washington correspondent in 95. Just ask, when you were there, did Bill Clinton when he was on the phone to John Bruton say, oh, I got Mark Little in the room. Would you like to talk to him? He never did. No. Never. I never got a compliment on my hair, <laughs> my tight buns, nothing. Stinger. I went home, broke Stinger, broken. stinger. Personal, you know, per, I don't know why. Those are amazing. Thank buns. you. Two eggs and a hanky. <laughs> um, so then you came back to Ireland, became RT's lead foreign affairs correspondent, wrote a few books, reported from a few war zones, attended a few groundbreaking political inaugurations. I like they were skimming over all of these wonderful, wonderful things. You decided to throw all this Montrose life of Ritz and Glamour away, mm-hmm. including Ritz people. Glamour. This does not make any sense. The Golden Coppers VIP card that you get when you work for RT. You, <laughs> is that a thing? Wait, hold VIP stands for like very icky. <laughs> so let's not get too excited. And you decided to set up Storyful, the world's first um, social news agency. Yeah, I'm some Storyful errors in the house tonight. There you yeah, go. Fuck, a lot of teams. <laughs> Um, please hold the tomatoes until the end when we come off the stage. Leave Mark alone for a little bit. Or underwear, depending on how you <laughs> felt about his management style. Yeah, we'll start off the interview by just saying, um, you started Storyful years before anybody else predicted the value of validating social media content for the news. So are you psychic? <gasps> <laughs> oh my God. Oh, I knew you were going to ask me that. Um, <laughs> that took me a second and I was like, oh. He's too smart for this podcast, that's, Steve. That's why he's <laughs> that's there. A, that's a really weird good here. joke. <laughs> that's that's no, too I, good I of a joke. all your podcasts. The first time I realized you were, you were a comedy podcast. <laughs> Ooh. <Yeah>. Mommy. <laughs> Mommy Nolan. <laughs> no, I had two light bulb moments. The one I always tell in the speeches where it's very somber and telling people about this great idea was when 2009, there was a protested election in Iran. And I was supposed to go for RTE, but RTE were broke at the time. Couldn't send me. I stayed at, at home. At the time. At the time. <laughs> they're um, flush they're now. They're flush with money now. And I remember thinking, I was watching Twitter, and I was seeing places that I, I mean, Iran was my story. As a foreign correspondent, everyone has their story. This was my story. And I loved it to bits. I went back two, three times a year. And I watched Twitter telling me that there were bodies being dragged off Valiasar Square in northern Tehran. I could see them. And I was listening to John Simpson from the BBC, who was reporting third hand from his hotel room because he couldn't get onto the streets, that there were shots fired in this place. And I thought, holy shit, that's it. The age of the foreign correspondents over. Mm. And that, that was shocking to me. Two weeks later, I was at a wedding, uh, my cousin's wedding in the west of Ireland. And about half nine, all the cool kids with their phones were at the bar, went over. They were all looking at the phones going, Michael Jackson's dead. How do you know? Well, Twitter said. Mm. So half an hour later, we're on the floor, my mother and myself, voguing to Thriller, not a pretty sight, realizing afterwards- Voguing to Thriller. That's how old I am. Um, <laughs> I'm very old or very cool. I'm not quite sure anymore. Um, I think both. So listen, this was the point where I said to myself, well, I looked back afterwards and realized that LA Times did not report Michael Jackson's death until 40 minutes after we were on the dance floor. And that would give you a sense that suddenly news had shifted. Yeah. onto social media where there was the power of the democratic voice of a young woman. I remember this image of a young woman, a camera phone holding it up, testament to this revolution. She could tell her story to lots of people without coming through me. That was the good side. The bad side was everything that happened on Twitter, as far as people was concerned, was gospel at the time. And there was this yin and yang that I thought, wow, there's a business, a challenge historical shift happening right here. Did you feel in that moment threatened or a sense of opportunity? Which came first? Both immediately at the same time. Like my job as a foreign correspondent, the thing I, at the age of four, wanted to be was over. Yeah. When you were four. I remember watching. When I was four, I was just really into custard. (laughs) (laughs) And like roly poly. Like that was it. And you wanted to be a foreign correspondent. I remember fighting my father for the Irish Times at the age of seven. Like, look back, I was- What a, childhood did you have? When I was 15, tell you, no fib. I couldn't I, spell I the Irish Times until I was 17. <laughs> I got a report card when I was 15 from a religion teacher saying I was prematurely cynical. <laughs> Which is why I was- a I'm journalist. sorry, did you grow up in like one of them movies from the 60s that show how terrible Ireland was? <laughs> I'm like Sheldon Cooper for politics. <laughs> but anyway, I really did at the same moment. But at the same time, most of my friends were saying, this is over, it's the end of journalism. I kind of said, well, this actually could be a golden age because 
Think of the democracy of it all. You no longer have to go, a guy like me would stand in front of an event going, there's something interesting happening behind me. And we owned the means of production. That's why we're on your topic. Can we please get you to say Mark Little RT News signing off? <laughs> Everyone be quiet. I want this for my ringtone. Shh, shh, shh. Mark Little RTE News. Chills. <laughs> That's extra, by the way. Damn it. <laughs> Someone get another pint of Guinness. <laughs> I feel very exploited. <laughs> Dirty. Oh, we're only just beginning. So next question. Yeah, th that's all well and good. But did any of what came before telegraph where news is going to go in terms of fake news? Again, we spoke about how it's not a new thing, but it certainly has been rebranded and, and, and reinterpreted. Did you see that coming? And how did I that think feel? When you look back at history, and I would ask everyone not to use the F phrase anymore, right? Fake news is now being taken over by people like Donald Trump and dictators everywhere in the world to basically say the free press. That's what it means to them. So let's stop using the word fake news and go back to misinformation. We basically have a situation where misinformation has always been around, right? Yeah. If you think back in the rise of Hitler, it was, he had, he was big revolutionary moment was putting a radio in every kitchen and he could spread propaganda through radio. Genocide, Rwanda, 94, started out by a deliberate piece of misinformation, that genocide. So it's been used in mass media ever since the printing of the first Bible back in Gutenberg's day, that created the most violent period of human history. So every shift in communications, printing press, TV, radio, and now social media, creates not bringing people together, but splitting them apart. So history tells us this was always gonna be a moment of massive danger, but also opportunity. And for me personally, I could see both happening, but I didn't see what happened next, which was like, these people like Trump, and the people who spread misinformation from these weird bunkers in Russia or Macedonia, they're basically rewiring democratic tools to become weaponized as, as a way of suppressing mm -hmm. and promoting the opposite of democracy. And I have to say, I worked in Twitter. I did not see that coming because I felt really, if we just get this fact checking thing right and, and Storyful still do it today successfully, it'll be okay. But no, I think our brains were being rewired. We didn't see it happening. And I certainly, looking back now, wish maybe four years ago, or even when I worked for Twitter, that we hadn't been so fearful of Big Brother. Mm. This is not 1984. Our danger is not that we won't have people stopping information. Our danger is too much information. And that's, for me, where the real danger comes from. And when did you have that realization? Like, when did it all, was there one? What was, what was the, the thriller equivalent moment? <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible. I've got to come back to you. Can I go back in two weeks' time with an anecdote? <laughs> no, it, it's a slow motion car crash. It's, you know, there's that moment looking back when you said, oh, I could have known at that time. But we were also in love. And, and for example, in Twitter or in, in no, we were Mark. talking about the freedom, you know, free speech wing of the free speech party. Because all we were concerned about was giving you a voice. Little did we know by giving the people a voice, we also allowed people to creep in and weaponize these democratic processes. So looking back, it's long before I think Trump, I could, I could see it. Mm. We were in Storyful days, you know, all the people from Storyful will tell you, we were starting to see in the Syrian war, you know, ex examples of the Syrian uh, army faking videos to make it look like the rebels were burying people alive. Wow. It took us two days to disprove this kind of stuff that wasn't going to stop the kind of lies that we see spreading in the blink of an eye. And by then the, the story has moved on. Exactly. And that's why the problem is the fake moves faster than the truth ever will. And we've got to do something to just stop and rebuild from scratch as if it was 2004 again. Just to ask a final question about Storyful before moving on. Um, did you have any reservations about selling Storyful to News Corp? which kind of sounds like the name of an evil genius. I, so I didn't know News Corp company. was the name of Rupert Murdoch's company. And when Steve That's said right. News Corp, I thought it was like, it's like a Bond villain. If he sets up a fake company, it'd be called something like News Corp. I, I, have, I have a slide. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's an actual photograph. That was an actual, that's, yeah, that's archival. Uh, yeah. That's what we asked for and that's what he sent. <laughs> no, we were, it was funny. I remember we got the phone call from the people I knew working inside the Wall Street Journal, which is the Times in London. Was a few friends of mine who were actually saying to me, give me a call and said, are you interested in investment? So what do you mean? Well, News Corp might be interested in investing in you, but they don't take minority stakes. So I thought for a moment that meant they wanted to buy the company. We went through nine months 
of what they call due diligence, when a company is buyed up by another company, got to the point where they were sending us these stacks of questions. And one of them was, how many private aircraft do you own? <laughs> I mean, Storyful couldn't change the light bulbs at the time. Like we were literally running on fumes. Couldn't change light bulbs in your private aircraft? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't the private aircraft the problem. The yachts were the real train. Oh, it's the back and forth. But you have to remember that there's two, there's a yin and a yang to someone like the guy behind us here, Murdoch. On the one hand, he invested heavily in mm -hmm. some really big mistakes like MySpace, but also a thing called The Daily, which was the first iPad newspaper. He had people around him were literally at a level of innovation and risk-taking were just exactly the kind of people we wanted to be around. We knew that we couldn't grow fast enough to keep off the competitors. We had another offer from another company and we sat down and said, these people have news in their blood. Now, for us, we never had an editorial page, so we couldn't suddenly be writing editorials praising right-wing conservative figures. Right. So yeah, it was a slow process of elimination going, you know what? They'll take this and build it. And now Storyful has gone from 34 people to, I think, if they don't correct me at the back here, 210 or so, wow. based in Dublin yeah. and still doing work that we could never have done independently. We would not exist today. So looking back, it was a great business decision. Mm. Looking forward to where I am today, I can see exactly why you might ask me that question. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's Storyful success story is one of the greatest triumphs of the tech scene in Dublin. But only after I left, you notice that. I don't know if right. it's a coincidence or whatever, but you know. <laughs> It's all happened since I went to actually was at a conference two weeks ago and I went up to the Storyful booth, which is this huge booth and nobody recognized me. And I just stole all the merchandise. It was great. <laughs> uh, are the traditional news vendors in the middle of an existential crisis right now? Holy shit. <laughs> um, this is the politics slash yes, uh, of that. Yeah, I mean, there's this problem at the moment where we all worry about saving newspapers. And if you go to conferences, how can we save the news business? And to be quite honest, I don't give a flying fuck about saving the news business, right? What I care about is that citizens right now are being denied quality information because Mark's of a lot. afraid of the slides now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's that's the only script one. up here behind me. <laughs> and I think really what I care more about than saving newspapers or news business is saving journalism. You know, it's saving the connection between a citizen and a source who has something empowering to tell them, whether it be information about their locality or a chosen topic. And that's what's broken down. You go on every day, I'm sure speaking for everybody in the room, where you get up in the morning and it's like endless tsunami of information coming at you. You don't know what's true, and what's not true. You're exhausted every day trying, if you need news, to sort it out. So we don't need to save, you know, the newspaper we need to save the connection between the citizen and the journalist. And that's where I think we've all missed it, is the existential crisis of the newspaper executives. I don't care. What I do care is that you can get up in the morning and you can see something that makes you a better citizen, makes you more informed. And I know that sounds really fundamental, mm. but that's how far back we've got to go and stop worrying about whether you can get a newspaper from a news agent in 10 years' time and care more deeply about information, its quality, whether it's actually you know, understands your life. And I think that's where the breakdown has been. So what would you say that the, the present vendors of the newspaper on the, on the street are actually doing wrong that is going to end up leaving them on, the, on the, the side of history? Like what are they doing that's compounding the problems that we have at the moment? So here's the challenge, right? This big news organizations for the last 10 years have been throwing shit onto Facebook in hope of getting 10 million views on a video that runs for two seconds. That's the definition of a view on Facebook. They're throwing up stuff in competition with, you know, kids out of Macedonia doing fake news or, or your, your cousin's wedding. There's no ranking of quality. It's all about emotion. And it's all based on advertising and making you feel some emotion, right? And newspapers have been playing that game. And then they turn around and go, why don't people trust us anymore? <laughs> and you're looking at going, your strategy has been the biggest recipe for distrust in media. You couldn't have invented a better way of having people go, but you don't really give me quality anymore because all I'm seeing is your crappy videos recycled on Facebook. And, and then when you do a big investigation, there's no differentiation between that and the furry cat video that your other outlet is putting out on the social platform. So the biggest mistake they've made is by playing along with the rules of a game that is absolutely nothing to do with quality of information. It's all about emotion, making you feel something. Facebook and the likes have always talked about being... Um not like any sort of editorial institution, but rather a platform. How complicit do you think they're in this issue? Like, do, should they be taking on more of this? Should they be distancing themselves more? 
what are the roles of algorithms and all these things? What are your thoughts? I always make the analogy to big tobacco, right? There, there was a moment when Facebook could have said, oh shit, there's cancerous toxins in our cigarettes and we're going to do something about it. And that moment has passed. They've continued to work away. And I mean, I worked for Twitter and I would say this, that different platforms are different values and, and different impacts. But what's happened with Facebook is they say we're not a media company and yet they are the greatest, largest, most comprehensive news distribution system known in the history of mankind and humankind. And so you cannot have that lie and continue to say we're not responsible. But the, the way they get away with it is they have machines, algorithms working to rank this stuff and there's not a human being that's involved in that process. So I compare this to 2008. If you've seen the movie Big Short, right? Mm. Remember the great, there's a great Steve Carell moment where he's, someone's explaining credit default swaps and these are algorithms that someone wrote and nobody knew how they worked. That's what's happening in your information supply every day. Someone wrote a cool algorithm three, four years ago and there's no one left at Facebook that knows how it works. And it's just like 2008, 2009. That's kind of my sense about it. Mm. Would you say that it's, like you, you compared Facebook to Big Tobacco there. And I mean, what we know about Big Tobacco is that they actively knew that their product was harming people, but were willing to lie to protect their profits. Would you say that that's what Facebook and other social media companies are doing now? No, I think there is a, there's a thing for these people who they believe deeply. Like, and I've worked with them, I know them. Um, and I think there's been a huge amount of social good. Like, I wish we could just go back start social media again, yeah. keep out the bad stuff and keep the really good stuff. Because remember, it's given us a democratic voice we've never had. It is partly responsible for the birth of the podcast movement, not just, you know, a podcast. It's, it's Which culminates special. tonight in this live show. <laughs> We're all here because of that, right? <laughs> but no, I think ultimately, from my point of view, the problem I have with Silicon Valley right now is because they believe that they're virtuous, they believe everything they do is virtuous. They want to bring the world together but they don't take responsibility for the thing they broke. If you broke it, you own it. And you can't tell me you're virtuous because you believe in freedom of speech and you vote for President Obama and you hate Trump. Mm. That's not good enough anymore. You need to take responsibility. So, you know, I've seen this behind the scenes and I've seen it at front. And I, I just worry about the people that dream with their eyes open. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned wanting to reset to the start of social media movement. That's obviously not possible, but do you think there are steps that we, that they could take currently and even that we could take as consumers using their platform, like in the yeah. short term that could help and what are they? I think there are short term problems, for example, the, you know, anonymity, you know, so we can have people setting up 400 fake accounts that suddenly magnify a piece of misinformation that could be closed down. They've got spam filters that could be used against that. They do it against bad advertising. They can do it against bad information. They could start by actually giving some oomph and amplification to fact checkers by spending money to get them, you know, faster into the bloodstream of the information system. A lot of things they can do, but fundamentally we need to stop. The car's broken. We need to change the car. We need to get into the engine and rebuild everything because the business model is the problem. Because remember, it's all about you guys being the product. They're selling your attention, each one of you personally. I can see dollar signs in each one of you. That's exactly the way. Mammy Nolan, that includes you too. <laughs> You're particularly valuable. Mark Zuckerberg um, said it. <laughs> and I think that's what you got to understand. They don't want you. They want your attention and they want to sell your eyeballs to advertisers. As long as that is the case, why? Why would they want to rank things in quality? They want to rank things on emotion because that makes you buy stuff. And so therefore, all they care about is that please feel something deeply doesn't matter about quality. And as long as that business model is the way it is, we'll keep writing algorithms that service up stuff that fries our brains. The second problem is information overload. And this is cognitive stuff that Blind Boy, if he was here right now, he'd do a great job on this. Much um, better. Podcast. Much better. But it's the brain being fried. It's just information overload. Science tells us that we have too much information. But Mark, I'm only one man. What can I do? That's a real question. No, it, it, and it's a great question. There's so many ways that you can do, like what story people do every day is they literally say, okay, if that account has only two messages and suddenly has 10 million people looking at it, something wrong there. I think media literacy is a really under, underserved skill. We learned how to read. We, you know, newspapers used to have a name on them and you knew the politics of the publisher and the correspondent. We've got to look for it harder, but we do have to train ourselves to be a bit more copped on to where we get our news from. And if you don't pay for news, then you're taking your chances. So please look out there and say who's worth paying for, um, who is worth supporting. 
and, and have a sense about that. And for the other stuff, just be a little bit more aware every day you see stuff that is too good to be true because I see this all the time, like just, and it's innocuous stuff. Like last week, Warren Buffett, fake account, millions of people retweeted something he said. We all knew it wasn't him, but we did it anyway. And I know that sounds petty, but that's where it starts when we start to say, ah, who cares? Mm. I think that's when democracy dies, not when it dies in darkness. You know, that Washington Post, yeah. it's like a Batman line, right? Democracy dies in darkness, right? It doesn't. It dies when the lights are so bright, we can't work out who's the good person and the bad person. We just got to be, I think, a little bit more aware that uh, we can take power back in our own hands. You're so smart. No, I sound like Billy Graham here. Please stop me before I cliche again. No, this is a segue. You're so smart. <laughs> what are you going to do to fix this? I know you've got a couple of... Uh, we must say you're an absolute gentleman. You're in the works with a new company and you haven't mentioned it once. Yeah, you haven't plugged it at all, but let, let's now plug Please it plug. because you clearly have some really wonderful First ideas. First of all, how do you pronounce it? Is it Neva Labs? Or Neva? Neva? Uh, it's Neva Labs. Damn it. Know. Knew it. Damn it. It's a long story about Iraq and the war and all kinds of stuff, but it means daybreak in Farsi. I always love that phrase and the concept. So anyway, I, myself and uh, Anya Kerr, who worked for Storyful, was inspiration leader in there. She went on to work for Facebook, ironically. I worked to work for Twitter. Paul Watson, the former chief technology officer from Storyful. We all had a conversation that went for about a few months going, do we want to do something about fake news? And we're like, but that's just a symptom. Okay, do we want to do something that's going to build a new type of news app? Yeah, but that's just a symptom as well. Let's try and see if we could ask people to join us and we'll start again. Let's go back to 2004. Let's build a news community that was all about our best intentions, not our worst instincts. Let's go and give you the option to say after an article, that changed my mind. If we could rewire the algorithm so that we're all looking for stuff that actually is making us more purposeful, and then what if we just made sure we followed you through your day and personalized the news so that you get up in the morning and you're different people at different parts of the day, we understood you, we followed you through, and you had control. The sense of agency over your news supply is the thing that we've lost. And we want to restore that with a news app. And then on top of that, we want to build really what I suppose Twitter should have done when it realized it was the home for real-time news, which is a community led by people who are kind of like us, but smarter, and who are incentivized. So we're working with a partner called Civil, which is a news network based on the blockchain. Oh yeah. And we're trying to focus a lot more, not on established publishers as your sources, but independent journalism, niche publications, podcasting. And so Steve there's a whole, Steve you know, be a part of this is an audition, by the way, guys, if I get enough pints of Guinness tonight, I may. <laughs> Steve, Steve, this could be our big break. <laughs> Don't worry. Play really if cool. I can do anything. No, we're, like we're looking to connect people who are really conscious, you know, thinking individuals with quality information. Yeah. Did the you echo chamber are next. Fine. Okay. Yeah. Did you so see the, our opening video? <laughs> it was great. <laughs> I love the particular, that was a lovely um, flame. That right. It wasn't, it wasn't ball. too subtle. It wasn't too ostentatious. It was just perfect. It was both. Yeah, exactly. There we go. <laughs> and that's it. We want to connect the most engaged news consumers in the world with the publishers that reward their attention and clean out all the misinformation and clean out all the stuff. And, you know, we're not solving misinformation, but like you wouldn't walk into a supermarket and pick an apple that said, it does not have worms in it. You just accept it didn't, right? So we want to create a space for people, a conscious layer on top of all these social platforms to allow you to be rewarded for saying, yeah, that changed my mind and I'm going to share it. Mm. And we think money can be made and is being made. That's the great thing about it now with platforms like Patreon, which funds right. a lot of podcasting, Civil, which is an experiment in de decentralized control. So I really feel like we're at the moment now where I'm more excited now in some ways than when I started Storyful because we can, in Dublin even, yeah. be at the, the forefront of a global movement. And uh, yeah, it's just no more exciting place to be. And I got a bunch of people. We just moved into a new office today, uh, 10 of us. And uh, we're building new algorithms. We're rewiring stuff. It's it's. Pretty, it's pretty cool. Dublin, does it feel like doing it in Dublin gives it a different spirit or something compared to doing it in somewhere like Silicon Valley where this is more prevalent? Like what, what about that home flavor do you particularly like? There's a deep, there are dark like cynicism about Dublin, which can yeah. be really claustrophobic sometimes. And then sometimes when it's like, yeah, right. <laughs> like if you listen to American podcasts, do you ever hear this, like Michael Barbaro who does the daily yeah. goes, huh. <laughs> <laughs> ever hear that, right? Do in Ireland it's like, 
Yeah, right. I listened to that podcast for a year, and I do think it is one of the best Patrice podcasts out there. But I never picked up on his huh until someone <laughs> pointed out, and now all I can ever feckin' hear is huh. Oh. It's like spelled serendipity. It's yeah. like, oh, that changed my mind. Oh, that's very interesting. In oh. Dublin, it's like, yeah, right. <laughs> and I have to say, when you're doing a startup in the early stages, you want more of the, yeah, right, than you do the, oh, you're great. <laughs> and so you'll go into these Silicon Valley meetings, and we thought with Storyful at one stage, we were golden. You are, I cannot, you t- I, words cannot describe. And so will you pay some money? No. <laughs> well, then you go back to London and Dublin and people be like, okay, tell me again, 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 again. Okay, I'm with you. Mm. And so there's a lot higher barrier to prove as a result when you went to the places where people were going, ha, huh, you were much better able to say, okay, I'm, I'm competing here. I don't, I'm not intimidated by being in the New York Times. Like we were being sent in the early, this is a storyful down to the New York Times Washington Bureau to educate them about social media because they hated it so much. And that was kind of our job was to bring that from a place in Dublin when we were starting by the Liffey, where there was four of us. The night Osama bin Laden was killed, we directed the American media into his compound in Abbottabad, corrected the wrong location that Google had put up, and literally had analyzed the helicopter that had crashed, which was a Seahawk modified, and there was real nerds in our team. Um, and we had that all over the world within about two and a half hours from a tiny little office, you know, by the stinky Liffey. And I have to say, that's how it is still as good as it is because there are people coming on again and again, most of whom are Irish. I see some of them right now that came through the intern program. or the, And it's, uh, it's Dublin is a place that has huge talent. I can walk down the street quite literally with a checkbook and see people that I know I want to hire when we get enough money. <laughs> that's why I'm here tonight. <laughs> Don't have a checkbook uh, if you take a credit card. Yeah. <laughs> we'll work for pints, to be honest. So will I. <laughs> what do you think I'm here for? Exactly. I think that's about it, Mark. I, I know you have Mark, some, yeah. you, you have to jet off and we're going to close out with a little, a little fun game, but thank you so much for taking part. This Pleasure. has been, it's been this great. Has been Thanks for having brilliant. me. Oh, um, no problem. Thanks so much. Thank you. Cheers. Now that he can't hear us. God, he's smart. So smart. And his voice. If Neva Labs is just a, a, an app that when you pressed it, Mark read the news to you in his voice, like his RT news voice, I would pay so much money for that. <laughs> so much money for that. Oh my God. So what's next? This is really weird. I have a thing here that says uh, sponsor. You have a thing in oh your Oh my name? God, we got sponsors. Forget. Oh no. Alan, does, uh, did you know about this sponsorship thing? It's really weird. We're not, we're not. We interrupt this mediocre podcast to bring you a message from President Donald J. Trump. People of Ireland, there have been many, many stories in your fake news mainstream media about why I canceled my guff, I mean, my political visit to your wonderful country in November. I promise you, they're all lies, okay? Typical failing Irish time smears. Just ask Dennis O'Brien. The truth is, and everyone knows this, I am busy with Ireland's biggest and greatest party, the DUP on bringing a great Brexit to the United Kingdom, which of course I know Ireland is a proud part of. This is going to be huge. As I understand it, you're having some border problems there too. Don't worry, I'll build a wall along that border to keep out the undesirables. Also, I heard you're having a housing crisis. Well, there's no one else who can fix that quicker than me. Everyone says so. That's why I've been working with your teeth shock, Leopold Veruca, to get the rights to build Trump Towers on every block in Dublin. Every block, I mean that. We'll start with demolishing the GPO next week. It's gonna be great, believe me. Everyone loves me in Ireland, and I love them. Let's make What Am Politics great again. Um, Alan, you got to start vetting our sponsors. That's just not really in line with our tone. I'm nearly sure we're not going to get paid for that. <laughs> that actually costs us money, just to let you know. <laughs> I'll send you an invoice later. Uh, so we're done with our ad break. Should we play a little game? 
We usually like to close out live shows with I like with, with games. Huh? I like games. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we're going to play a little fake news game. The rules are super, super simple. I'm going to read a couple news stories, headlines, and the stories themselves. And you and, and everyone has to decide whether they're real news stories from our actual real life world or whether they're just, a, you know, my own mad musings, something I just made of myself. And uh, I, <laughs> we've done this game a couple times before, but only this week did I actually come up with a name for it. a little longer than I thought it would. <laughs> it's called Faking News Live. Richie, my God, would you just like get a hobby or something? This is my hobby. <laughs> okay, so the first, the first headline is, poor Mr. Anus, the council candidate given a bum deal by Facebook. We're allowed some questions for these, aren't we? Let me read the story first. Okay. Story. Or a real story, who's to say? Story! <laughs> a local election candidate in Belgium has been forced to change his name uh, by the social network on the grounds that it is offensive and inappropriate. Uh, Luke Anus... <laughs> Luke, so Anus funny. Uh, Luke Anus is a 26-year-old socialist from the district of Lobes. Of course he is. He is currently campaigning under the name Luke Anu, which A N U, which is just like one letter off, but it, it could be, it should, may as well be world apart. The face, <laughs> the Facebook ban could have worked to his advantage. It is winning him publicity, and his election poster is now a hit on social media. So uh, the Belgian socialists have been here before, though. In 2012, they fielded uh, a candidate called Jean Claude Prick. <laughs> Luke Anus is one of 49 anuses registered in Belgium. Oh my God. Are you finished? He's not finished. I'm finished. Okay. This is fake or is it real? Um, did he get elected? It's, it's, it's ongoing. You don't keep up with the, the politics in Belgium? No. It's ongoing. Okay. Um, I'm going to put this one straight to the audience. No, what, what do you, before we go there, what do you think? Real or fake? Real or fake? What do you guys think? Fake, real? I, real? Anyone think it's fake? Some fake, you think it's fake? Anyone else think it's fake? Okay, I'm going to go with real. Oh, it's so fucking real. <laughs> he looks like Luke Anus. He looks like Luke Anus, right? It's legit, and it's currently happening right now, like he's campaigning right now. Oh, God. Poor guy. Poor anus. He's just <laughs> it's tough. Boris and Brexit gym punch bags help Londoners vent their rage. Oh, I wish it was true. Oh, we'll see. Uh, Londoners fed up with Brexit can vent their rage with a special gym routine that includes high intensity exercises like pummeling punch bags, bearing photographs of some of the main players like Boris Johnson and Jean-Claude Juncker. Fake. Not finished. I've written more things <laughs> or I'm reporting on more things. <laughs> the 30 minute circuit also features Theresa May Sacres. Uh, oh, the images. Jacob Reese log lifts. <laughs> and Politico head slammer in which participants slam balls onto pictures of British Prime Minister uh, Theresa May and opposition Labour Party leader Jeremy Corbyn. There's also a Cameron Quitters Corner, named after May's predecessor, David Cameron, to take a time out. I'm personally very proud about how many people you know that are involved in UK politics. <laughs> You've taught me well. Or again, maybe I'm reporting on a real story. Who's to say? Should, what will we say? Real, fake? Fake. Anyone think it's real? Ah, it's so real. It's really, really real. Like it's a real thing. Look at all these pictures. It's so real. This is actually happening. It looks photoshopped. It's not. <laughs> Look, I know the previous slides probably don't do me any favors if I said I didn't photoshop this, but I legitimately, I there's like real life attributions. I can't see them down there because I, I knew Mark was going to be here. I actually credited the news stories and everything. Because if he was still going to be here, I didn't want him to shout at me. There, it's really, really real. He's waiting to beat you up outside. Okay. The body of Christ. Meet Ireland's 12 sexiest priests in their 2019 calendar. Can I just say, oh my God? <laughs> Is that a pun? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> Austrian photographer Linus Mittermeier. 
in collaboration with members of the Dromore West Parish, has created a calendar featuring 12 of Ireland's most handsome priests. Okay. Was that it? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, the project began in March 2018 when Mitchell Meyer was working on a personal portrait series entitled The Religious Abstraction. Uh, the series featured over 80 intimate pictures of Catholic priests ranging from ages 26 to 98 across the whole country. Look, I know photographers. Intimate, like, I know how it sounds. 26 to what? Uh, to 98. <laughs> intimate, like they're close-ups. They're not, like, weird. <laughs> Members of the Dromore West Parish in Sligo convinced Mittermeyer to contribute 12 of these portraits to a local charity initiative to help pay for refurbishments to St. Mary's Church. The calendar is currently untitled, uh, but will go into production in late October and will only be available in St. Mary's or at the local Topaz petrol station. Ha! There's, I saw someone like whipping out their phone to gotcha. try Amazon this shit right now. Like he dropped his beer. Richie, you've been abroad for too long. You don't know that Topaz is now Circle K. <laughs> okay. In my defense, I looked it up and it said uh, Topaz on their Wikipedia page. <laughs> so it is fake, but it's based on a real story. There's actually like a sexy priest calendar, like an official Vatican one. I think I've seen them in Game of Thrones. They're like really good looking Wait, priests. Go back, go back. Look at this guy up here in the corner. He's really sexy. I, didn't, I never even noticed that. <laughs> you were too smitten by the priest. I was just looking into their eyes. That's it. <laughs> when we were, we were meeting downstairs before the, the show, Steve took my notes and wrote on it, um, uh, Steve's bit. Yeah, so, so... Steve has a little bit. We did a live show a couple of weeks ago on the Electric Picnic. It was fantastic. And thank you, Alan, for giving us that slot. Um, but as part of that, you surprised me at the start of the show with a little <laughs> gift. Yeah. A signed photograph of Michael D. Higgins, which was part of a show called Fake News, and I'm still not sure if it's real. No, it's absolutely real. I like to believe it's real. No, it's real. I got anyway, him an actual... So, it's also your birthday in a couple of weeks. It is. And I thought that I would give you a gift. So, um, entertain these people for a second. <laughs> so I have to go for longer until somebody actually moved the bag. Where was I? Oh, can you hold my beer? It's live unboxing. <gasps> it's real. It can't be fake. It's Michael D. Higgins. Oh. Happy birthday, buddy. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. God, he's all grown up. Uh, best podcast husband ever. He's learned so much about bonding. you. You take it over from here. I'm going to stare wistfully into his eyes. Well, let me see what you've written in your notes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a. It just said Steve's bit. Okay, um, I think that's us. Yeah, thank you so much, guys. Like, we had no idea this would like people, a bunch of people would actually come. Like, this is just like a small little passion project we started to teach me about politics and the fact that it's actually turned into a thing where people will like pay money on a Friday night to listen to two copshites talk. But like the fact that you would come here and like laugh along with us and like you know play along with this whole little silly thing means the world to us. And thank you in particular to our wives, girlfriends, families, brothers, sisters, because you know that's what makes all this work. Um, and Thank you, everyone who came. We, we, thank you to Mark Little. We love you. <laughs> and thank you to you. And good night. And make sure you stay for the echo chamber. Woo! Yeah, thanks, guys. Stop Woo! masturbating. I'm clapping. My God, you really enjoyed that episode. <laughs> stop that. Uh, you stop that. Mark is smart. He's a smart, smart man. I know, I know we kept saying the live show, but that's, that's not, that wasn't being facetious. Like he genuinely is one of the most intelligent people I've ever been in a room with. It's true. And you've been in a room with me. Yeah. Like I said, <laughs> <laughs> he's the kind of guy, you know, you, you, when, when you hear someone like that talk and me personally, he makes me question my own like impressionability. Like if afterwards he turned around and said, Hey, give me all your money and join my cult. I'd be like. Yeah, right. Sounds good. Where's my robe? That's a good point to mention that you can actually sign up. You can sign up to Mark's new app, uh, Kinzen. <laughs> it's definitely not a cult. Yeah, if you go to, if you go to, I think it's join.kinzen.com. I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, you can sign up to, to beta test the, mm. the Kinzen app. 
which I think is coming out in January of next year. Mm-hmm. But if you sign up, you get early access to it mid-November and get to see how Mark and his team are going about revolutionizing and pretty much fixing uh, how we consume news. Yeah. So get on that. I've checked it out. It is really, really interesting. And it is in the the super early stages. So if you get involved now, you're probably going to have a huge influence on how it's going to turn out. Absolutely. And you can sign up to be like a, you can sign up to be a curator and everything and have a real positive effect. So, and you'll be rewarded for doing so with like free, I think you you can say you can get free six month subscriptions to it once it actually launches. So it's all good stuff. It's all great stuff. I've I've done it just today. So you should definitely 100% trust it based on how good that podcast was. We're just saying. He was so great. He's so great. Uh, thank you to Jared Carney for doing uh, lending his voice talents to the opening video. Yes, Jared Carney being the name that we're giving Michael Gambon, who actually did the <laughs> yeah. real voice. But anyway, exactly. yes. <laughs> uh, thank you to Livy Prendergast for introing the Trump ad we did, lending her vocal talents to that. And thank you to Funny Guy Timmy for the Trump impersonation itself. Trump, Funny Guy Tim is the only name I have for him. <laughs> I found him online. <laughs> Wouldn't you know? Everything can be found online. That's it, exactly. And also, thank you to Supermarket Love for the theme music. Yes. It was really cool to walk to walk on stage to the theme music. That's true. It was pretty it was amazing. Great. I felt like a wrestler. And thank you to the Head Stuff Network for organizing a fantastic podcast festival and putting us on stage. Yeah. And maybe I'll warm and fuzzy. Thank you to the Echo Chamber guys for um, doing a, a double header with us because they okay, they went on stage after. And thank you to you for listening all the way to the end. Oh, I thought you were going to thank me. Nah, what have you done for me? Yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah, thanks to everybody else except for you, Richie. I mean, Jesus. This is our last ever episode. <laughs> <laughs> we're going out on a high. Yeah. We That's didn't even need like we didn't even need like a Yoko Ono character to break us apart. We just kind of realized how shit each other is. Okay. That's generally how most bands end anyway. But look, we're not that, that look, this this is this is just our regular reverent banter. Please do not hit unsubscribe. <laughs> yeah, no, we're, this thing's gonna go forever. We're literally getting tattoos. Twenty seven more seasons, Richie. <laughs> and a movie. And a movie. Oh my god. Oh no, the idea's in my head now. Ah, stop. No, stop that. Oh Do you know how long it took to do that little short film at the start? <laughs> Oh, Can you imagine what a full long like, movie would I'm, I'm ringing Gambon. We're, we're getting on this immediately. Oh, no. Okay, well, I'm going to go. I need to go pee. I forgot about that. Okay, I'm going to go pee. That's you ring true. Gambon, I'll go pee. Okay. Bye. Okay, bye. <laughs> this has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network.